Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. But if you're taking notes today, I want you to type or write this down, blind but not broken. Come on, everybody say blind. Say, but not broken. God, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you, God, that you meet us right where we're at. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. Thank you, Father, that you see us and you don't just see us and leave us, but you love us. And God, I pray that today that as I speak, Holy Spirit, that you would step in and I would step out, that you would have your way and do whatever you want to do. It is not about the words on a piece of paper or a sermon that has been written. It is about the cross. And so, Lord, today we glorify you. We magnify you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 There's a guy by the name of Marco. And Marco, he moved from Kenya all the way to Anchorage, Alaska to go to school at a university there. And in the meantime, he had convinced his cousin as well to do the same thing. And these two cousins, they move all the way from Kenya to Anchorage, Alaska, and they both join the cross-country team. And Marco and his cousin are, are trying to adjust to this new life in America, trying to adjust to college, trying to adjust to a whole new atmosphere. Uh, but the weight and the pressure and sometimes the anxiety of new change and big change like that causes Marco's cousin to go into a deep depression And unfortunately, Marco's cousin commits suicide. And Marco himself began to feel guilty and shame for being the one to convince his cousin to move to a new place, to pursue a better life, to get a better education, that we could be teammates on a cross-country team at a college and improve our life. And he begins to feel the guilt and the shame and the weight of his cousin's suicide. And Marco says that he wanders off into the woods that surround the university at the University of Anchorage, Alaska. And Marco says that he finds what he thought was a good spot. And he has a handful of antidepressant pills and he takes them all at one time. And he says he tries to just let life go. And a search and rescue team go out on the first day once they realize that Marco is missing and realizing the severity of the situation, they are looking and searching, but they have no signals. They have no signs of where Marco may be at on day one. Day two comes. They're looking and they're searching for hours. And after day, do, day two passes, they can't find him. And it's, they, they say that the search and rescue team caught off the search. But then just hours later, Marco stumbles into a lobby on the hotel campus, and he collapses to the ground as soon as he walks into the lobby. Say that his shoes were affixed to his feet, that his body was so cold, and that he had severe, severe, severe problems with the extremities of his body. And he goes into the hospital, and the doctors do all that they can to try to help Marco specifically with his legs. That's where the biggest problems were at. And after a week or two of treatment, of doing everything they can, they come to the decision and they've got to tell Marco, Marco, we've done all that we can, but we're going to have to amputate both of your legs six inches below the knee. A guy who's moved from Kenya to America to pursue a better life finds himself 
missing both of his legs now. And then, all of this happens in November of 2011, but then Marco has this revelation and decides that he is going to keep running. And Marco actually set the marathon world record for a double amputee in the Chicago Marathon. And then this year, in the 2022 Boston Marathon, he wins his division in the Boston Marathon. And he crosses the finish line, and a reporter comes up to talk to him. He said, Marco, tell us about your journey. We know that you, you went through some some terrible problems. You lost your cousin. You got both your legs amputated, but you just completed the Boston Marathon. Not only did you complete it, but you won your division. And he goes, well, let me tell you about this. And this is his response. And he says, it's my feet that brought me to America. And then all of a sudden, I don't have them. But then as I was recovering, I told myself, am I really going to let this define who I am? Because I know, this is his words, I know that our power is not outside of us, it's in us. Back in January, I ran a marathon. I just wanted to complete it. I, I was not trying, as a matter of fact, I was on mile 11 and I saw a guy running past me the opposite way and I went, he's going the wrong way. I think at that moment, I was running with Corey. Corey hopped in and ran a couple miles. He's way more fit than I am. I told the students, you got a more fit youth pastor now. Be excited. <laughs> Corey hopped in and ran about 10 miles with me. And I said, Corey, that guy, what's he doing? He, somebody tell him he's going to, no, no, no. He's about to finish. It's like, bro, where am I at 11? All I want to do is just not die. But Marco not only decides to get back up and keep running. He decides to set world records. He decides to win his division. He decides to not look at what's wrong with him, but focus on what he actually does have. And this story's impacted me. It's caused me to look at my life, and specifically, it's caused me to look at the things that are my weaknesses or my insecurities or my own failures, because we as people, how many do this? Somebody can tell you 10 things about yourself. Nine of them can be the most amazing compliments, and they tell you one criticism. They tell you the one thing that maybe you could work on. And what do you do the rest of the day? You're focusing on that one thing that's wrong with you instead of the nine things that are right with you. And I remember as I got older in life and got married and I began to see some things in my own life that I didn't necessarily like. I began to see some mindsets that kept replaying in my mind. I began to think about all the things that my life had held up until that point, the things that had been on the mountaintops, the things that I had experienced in the valleys, and began to think about all these different things. I said, you know what? There's some things in my life that I don't like that are repeating mindsets, and I believe I need to go see somebody and talk to them about it. So I go to a, a counselor, and I, I go to this counselor for a year, and after a year of counseling, we're about to leave a session. It's almost over, and he says, you know, Paul, I think you have a shame-based approach to life. And oh, it hurt. It didn't hurt because it wasn't true. It hurt because it was so true. And I said, okay, all right, man, I'll, all right, thanks, man. And I walked out, I went to the front desk and I said, hey, any future appointments, cancel them. They looked at me, I said, nah, we're, we're good. I've made a lot of progress. Thank you so much for y'all's help. It was a Christian counseling center. I said, thank you so much, appreciate it. Go ahead, we're, we're done, thank you so much. And I, I canceled any future appointments, I didn't go back for a year, but what happens when you begin to ignore things, <laughs> you don't just get to throw away that seed, that seed gets planted deeper. 
And then those same habits and those same mindsets began to resurface in my brain. And I got so upset one day, I found myself, you're gonna think I'm crazy, I'm just trying to show you that I'm human. I'm only standing on a stage because I'm a short Italian so you can see me up here, not because I'm better than you. I found myself one day mad at a situation, so angry and so upset, and I'm sitting there and I'm punching my bed and I'm punching my bed, I'm, why would this happen? And I look up and my wife's looking at me like, who did I marry? <laughs> and in this moment, I'm so angry. I'm, I can't even see straight. I'm literally seeing like white and black spots. And I was like, whoa, I wonder if that's like rage. And so I call the place, hey, this is Paul. I'd like to set up another appointment. It's been a while. <laughs> is it okay? I go in and my counselor, he goes, ah, Radical Paul, how are you? And I was like, God, ah, hey, jerk face, how are you? I walk in, I sit down, and I said, at the end of my counseling session a year ago, I said, you told me something. He goes, uh-huh. I said, you said that I have a shame-based approach to life, and I have found that you are right, but I don't like it. I said, I, when I approach my finances, it's from a shame perspective. Even at times when I'm in a disagreement, because my wife and I never fight, we just have disagreements. When I'm in a disagreement, I have a shame-based approach. Even when I come before God sometimes in worship, in my Bible reading, in my quiet time, I have a shame-based approach. I said, I need you to help me walk through that. And what I've learned is that I cannot complain about the things that I'm not willing to talk about. And I know that we all have issues. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you got some issues. Don't act like you're Christians. We all have issues. But I've learned that you cannot complain about the things that you are not willing to talk about. And I know it's great to say, man, so-and-so, you do this well, you do that well, you're really great at this. But let's talk about the things that we need to improve on. Let's talk about our failure. Let's talk about our insecurity. Let's talk about our weakness. Because we begin to focus on insecurities of our physical image. Maybe you begin to focus on the family that you didn't have growing up. Maybe you begin to focus on a specific mindset that's tied to a specific memory. Maybe it's a failure that you replay over and over and over. And now that failure that you replayed is not just a failure from your life, but it actually has become the filter or the foundation in which you live your life. Maybe it's a sin that you've been holding on to for quite some time, but because you refuse to talk about it, you no longer hold on to that sin. That sin holds on to you. And so now you have this mindset and you speak these things, and we've all said them at some point, that I'll never have this job because I'm not this type of person. Or I can never get married because if they know what I've done or what's been done to me, who would ever want to be with me? Or I can never own a business because I'm not this type of leader. Or I can't pray for someone in public. I can't stand up for Jesus because if they only knew my past. And we begin to think like this. And this sort of focus and mindset dictates how you live and how you approach your life. Now, obviously, this is not good because how you approach life really portrays what you want out of life. I have met people who have a lot of money and are miserable. But I've also met people at the drive-thru of a Chick-fil-A who are making minimum wage and they are more happy about life than the person who has millions. How you approach your life will tell people what you want out of life. 
Not only does it portray what you want out of life, it actually portrays what you think about the one who gave you life. Let's take it a step further. It not only navigates how you approach your life, it will control how you approach Jesus. So since the things that are wrong with you have crushed you, since the problems you have have taken the life out of you, you may begin to believe the lie that they are too much for Jesus, that they may take the life out of him. Can I encourage you with something? He willingly got on that cross. He said those people need somebody. And it can't just be anybody. Yes, our sin contributed and may have helped put him on the cross, but he did not stay on the cross. Yes, they may have taken his completely dead, deceased body from the cross and put him in a tomb, but he did not stay in the tomb. Do not believe the lie that your sin is too much for him. It is too much for you, and that's why you didn't die for yourself, because you're not enough. That's why I am not enough. And so sometimes we have this filter. Paul, what are you saying? I'm saying be careful that your approach to Jesus does not blind you from the power of Jesus. That maybe how you see yourself has robbed you of your peace, it's robbed you of your strength, your dignity. Maybe it's been the thief that has been taking from you from far too long, but can I encourage you? God does not wanna take anything, snatch anything from you. He wants you to surrender some things, but he's not gonna take and pull it out your hand. He's not gonna try to rob you of things. He wants to give more to you than you've ever experienced or encountered in your entire life. So let's talk about the approach of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. His approach to Jesus, it convicts me, but it also compels me that maybe my weakness and my insecurity don't have to lead to an insecure me. You see, in the days of the Bible, people made their money by farming in a field or maybe by bartering or selling goods in a marketplace or being a part of a military. But Bartimaeus is blind. He's never seen a farmer in a field. He's never seen the marketplace. He does not know what color the linens are. He's never seen a soldier. He doesn't know what weapons they carry or a type of attire that they wear. But because he has been limited to see, he is limited to be. So where does he earn his money, church? He sits on the side of the road. While everybody is to and fro about their life, he just sits down and he just begs. Not being able to see, but just hoping that somebody would give him some money. And he just begs and he doesn't have his sight, but he does have his voice. And hundreds and hundreds have passed him by, but he hears that Jesus is coming and he's gonna pass him by. And his approach to Jesus is different than his approach to the other people. See, he's been begging for money to keep him alive, but now he's begging for a miracle to hopefully give him new life. And it's clearly that Bartimaeus has heard of Jesus. He's heard of his power. He's heard of his healings. He's heard of the miracles that he's done. But the way he calls out to Jesus, there's something different about it. Bartimaeus is blind, yes, but he is not broken. Can I have an amen? So I have a question for you today. It's not deep. It's not theological. It's not confusing. I graduated from Santa Mo High. We're going to keep this very simple. (laughs) Any gators in the house? Let's go. God's moving. 
But I have a question for you today, and the question is not hard, it's simple. Are you blind? Paul, what are you saying? I'm looking at you right now. You should probably retire the skinny jeans. I know, I know. (laughs) My question, though, are you blind? Not blind with the eyes in the front of your head, but with the eyes that come from your heart. Are you blind? Have you been blinded by a relationship? Have you been blinded by a business deal that gone it's gone bad, gone bad? Have you been blinded by your past? Maybe you thought you did forgive someone until you saw a picture of them again and then it upsets you all over and you're reliving the trauma all over again. Are you blind? Are you blind? Maybe you can see every single thing around you, but you tremble at the thought when it comes to looking within you. We are in a culture where everybody can help everybody else, but nobody can help themselves. Can you look within? Can you stare at your own weaknesses and still call out the name of Jesus? I get it, a little strong start. Let's look at Bartimaeus. Let's look at his approach to Jesus, his weakness, his insecurity. Mark 10, 46 through 52, it says this. It says, then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named who? Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. I'm sure there's some deeper things there. We'll ask Terry about that later, but I always thought it was funny how Bartimaeus and Timaeus rhymed. Like, my dad's name is Danny. What if my name was, like, Manny? That'd be a little weird. Manny, you know, son of Danny. It's just a little strange, but... When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I read that to you, but that's not how it sounded. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because he is letting Jesus know how desperately he wants him. At this point, he has forsaken the thought that money can help him any longer. He's forsaken the thought that maybe a few more coins can get him to the next day. He's tired of just being sustained. He wants to have true life. He doesn't want to just hear the shuffle and the scuffle of people's feet. He wants to see their feet. He doesn't want to just hear of conversations of people who walk by of maybe how the fields were producing that day or how the marketplace was good or what the soldiers know. He wants to see them for once in his life. And he begins to shout. We as Christians need to learn to shout a little more. We as Christians need to learn how to use our voice a little more. We don't live in a world where people really know our intentions anymore. Now, if you say you're a Christian, you have to explain what kind of Christian you are. I'll keep going. But he shouts to him, and the people say, be quiet. But he only shouted louder. Me and old Bart would have been friends. I come from a very loud Italian family. Scared my wife in the very beginning of our dating relationship, but we'll stop right there. (laughs) But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. If I could give you one observation today, the first one would be this, stay quiet for no one. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, stop being so quiet. 
Some of you just looked at your wife and told her that and were like, shoot. I'm sorry, I'm just picking. Babe, I love you. Stay quiet for no one. Bartimaeus didn't have his sight, but he did have his voice. And he was using what he had instead of whining and complaining about what he didn't have. If you focus on what you don't have, then you will always be blind to the things that God has really given you. And how often do we forget about the blessings that God has given us because we are too busy coveting what is in our neighbor's hand instead of being thankful for what is in our hands. And I have learned this the hard way, church. What you covet will eventually be the thing that controls you. What you covet, the things that you look for, a nicer, bigger house, this type of spouse, this kind of car, I want this kind of job. It's not bad to want those things. It's bad to kneel before them and worship them. Don't covet them. There's a king in heaven who has it all. Be careful that you're doing this. That's nice. How, how long? My generation, I'm 31 years old. My generation, we look at the generation of 60-year-olds. And we go, man, I want that kind of house. Brother, you ain't done nothing to earn that kind of house. I, I, and we're coveting. And I've done this. I've been there. And God's like, stop it, you dummy. I've given you a wife who loves Jesus. I've given you three beautiful kids. Yeah, Paul, you may want a bigger house one day, but you got a house. And I'm, Dad, how, oh, Dad, y'all, man, y'all paid off y'all's house. That's cool. How you paid off your house like that? The same thing you did, dummy. I paid a mortgage every month. And we covet, and then that eventually means the thing, it's things that controls us. And it controls us and it takes away the worship that should be going here and it goes there. You got to stay quiet for no one. Bartimaeus is crying out and he's telling, the other people are telling him to be quiet. But the Bible says not only does he refuse to listen, but he shouts a little louder. You got to stay quiet for no one because culture has gotten louder. Social media has gotten louder. Politics has gotten louder. But guess what? Also, a watered-down gospel and a self-serving theology has gotten louder. Have you gotten quieter? In the midst of the days that we're living in, has your voice become silent? As Christians, now is not the time to be quiet. You got to stay quiet for no one. Now is not the time to be silent. Stay silent for no one. I am not saying cause offense when you speak. When you speak, you better speak truth, and it better be covered in grace. Because if you just speak truth and no grace, it is extremely painful. But if you speak grace with no truth, it is completely pointless. The two have to be paired together. We should be a church that when we talk to someone, there should be healthy confrontation. To say, hey, I noticed some of these things about you, and then just cover it in grace. No, you better get your life right before you screw it up. Now go do something. No, no, no. <laughs> or, man, you can keep doing that. You can keep living that way. God covers you. But the truth is that you may stand before him and he say, depart from me. I never knew you. You got to have truth and grace today. Because when Jesus is coming back, he is not coming back for the world. He's coming back for his bride. For those that have confessed and professed the name of Jesus. For those that have stood up when everybody else was falling down. For those that have not stayed silent but used their voice to speak up. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That shout was different than the shout of the crowd. There was intentionality. There was desperation. He was relentless in it. 
It is time for you to speak up for what you believe in and for who you believe in. And what you believe in better not be tied to this world. It better be tied to his word. And when we speak, before we speak up, we better open this and read. You cannot give your greatest opinion led by your deepest emotion. It's got to be biblical. I wish that, uh, I'm already in it. Anyways, I wish, I wish that we would stop posting clips on social media of people preaching. Not our church, I'm just saying our culture in general. Because people are taking their theology from a 30-second clip from a pastor and not getting in what the Word of God says. You don't need another sermon. Maybe you just need to go back and read Sunday School Bible. I've been convicted, church. My shout's not loud enough. My cry isn't intentional enough. And when I said yes to Jesus... I didn't say yes to a life of ease and just complete effortlessness. He said they're going to hate me because of him. That should be an honor. (laughs) That should put fuel in my tank. We got to stay quiet for no one because we can fill in the blanks for days about what we don't have. But what we do have is our mouth and we got to speak up. Too often we want to influence the world and impact the world but we lack intimacy with Jesus. Therefore, our influence and our impact is so shallow. And it just continues to solidify a false security and an unbiblical theology. But it is imperative that our words have to be surrounded by our actions. If they're not, I know I'm passionate. I'm not preaching at you. I promise. I'm just Italian. I just gets me fired up. If our actions don't back up our words, then all we're doing is adding our name to a long list of hypocritical Christians. And therefore, when we're the only Jesus that people see, why would they ever believe that man can forgive their sins? You got to stay quiet for no one. You think about Jesus. He talked for three years did a lot of things. And the Pharisees argued with him, bashed him, slandered his name. You know what they couldn't argue with? They couldn't argue after three days of an empty tomb. The Savior has spoken for himself, not with his words, but with his actions. To ask you this question, what do you believe in God for? Some of you may say, Paul, what am I not believing God for? There's a lot going on. I get that. But get specific. Have you stopped believing God for specific things because you feel like Bartimaeus on the side of the road? Have you become silent? And that's okay. Sometimes life just hits you like that. But don't think that because you are silent that he's absent. He's not. See, Bartimaeus is told to be quiet but he only shouted a little louder mark 10 48 the people say be quiet but Bartimaeus ignores them he only shouted louder son of David have mercy on me you don't just stay quiet you don't just not stay quiet for other people sometimes you got to speak up against your own self 
Don't stay quiet for your own fear. Don't stay quiet for your own insecurity, your own regretful past. Don't stay quiet for your own things that you face. You better speak up. You better shout a little louder. What are you believing God for? Because sometimes the hardest person to stand up to is the person that you need a mirror for. It's yourself. Let me tell you something. It's, I need the help of the Holy Spirit to stand on this stage and to preach to you and make it about him and not about Paul because you don't need Paul. I also need the help of the Holy Spirit when I look myself in the mirror and I go, man, you're still struggling with that same thing. Holy Spirit, help me. Don't stay quiet for yourself. Be careful that your social media life is not louder than your prayer life. Be careful that the conversations on your phone with your friends and your family, oh, da, 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 da. no, no, no. So now we just need to, hey, I got to go. Something came up. Somebody there? Yeah, somebody just showed up. Jesus, you just showed up. You stay quiet for no one. Point number two, a second observation is you need to throw the coat. You need to throw the coat. Mark chapter 10, verse 50, 11 of the most powerful words in our Bible, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Text my dad last night and said, Dad, you got any big coats? Yeah, I got a few. He began sending me pictures. Bunch of coats. I said, give me that big, that big khaki coat. All right. See, beggars were given specific coats because it would give them permission to beg. It would signify they had a weakness, and specifically Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. And he's begging for money. Was this just any coat? No, no, no. Bartimaeus, he wore this every single day. This was actually to, to, to be believed that maybe this was some of a beggar's only possessions was a coat. Bartimaeus knew that he was blind, but he also believed that he was not broken. See, he was without sight, but he was not without faith. Bartimaeus believed all the things of Jesus to be true. But if he's going to approach Jesus, he needs to approach him in faith. So Bartimaeus threw his coat before, check this, Bartimaeus threw his coat before he ever received his healing. He was on the side of the road with his coat, but this coat could not go onto the road with him. He was blind, but he was not broken. And Bartimaeus reaches Jesus on the road and they have a very direct and simple conversation. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus is standing before Jesus, and Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Again, he cannot see Jesus yet. He's thrown his coat to the side. He can only hear him. What do you want to, me to do for you? And he says, my rabbi, my rabbi, I want to see. I love this about Bartimaeus. He's already calling Jesus my rabbi. That Bartimaeus did not need Jesus to do anything for him before he was ever anything to him. Be careful that you don't only seek Jesus for what he can do, seek him for who he is. And sometimes we have to throw the coat. Paul, what are you asking me to do today? I'm asking you, what is your coat? What has been around your neck for far too long? 
Bartimaeus threw his coat before he ever received his healing. There is a gap between the throwing and the healing, and that gap is closed by faith. What has been keeping you on the side of the road? You have been labeled long enough. Your crying out and begging is way overdue. Stop listening to what the people around you are telling you to do to be quiet. It's time to throw the coat. The coat of pride, the coat of failure, the coat of insecurity, the coat of weakness, the coat of I can't and I'll never be. The code of, well, that's what my past always told me. Let me tell you about the past of Jesus. Jesus spoke a lot, and then there came a day where he was on the cross, and he didn't speak so much anymore. And he had the coat of the cross holding him. And after three days, yeah, where I'm going, I can't take the tomb with me. And so what is the coat that's been holding you? And I know it's comfortable, and I know it it maybe has defined you, but some of you, you just got to throw it. And at this point, you still don't have your healing. You still don't have what you've prayed for. And so you have to walk blindly with your eyes, but with faith in your heart, and stand blindly before your Savior and say, here's my weakness. I think you're there. I hear your voice. It sounds a lot like right now, doesn't it? We can't see him yet, but the day that I see him, the moment that I come face to face with Jesus, my talking, all of my talking will go silent. There will be no words to describe his beauty. There will be no words to adequately express the power of his pure presence. That the life that I've lived and the decisions that I've made, I finally get to see my savior face to face. I finally get to look him in the eyes. And I don't want to stand before him with a bunch of coats on me. And so Bartimaeus stands before him blindly. And he tossed his identity to the side of the road exactly where it needs to be. And he stood before the one who could give him a new identity. Bartimaeus, what do you need? I want to see my rabbi. What are you blindly asking for this morning? You may be blindly asking, but he's not blindly answering. You got to stay quiet for no one. You got to throw your coat. You got to know that sometimes you got to walk blind with your eyes, but a faith that just covers and saturates your soul. Because we can't ask God for anything. Why was Bartimaeus shouting? Because he truly believed that he was in the presence of the one who could give him everything he's been longing for. But his response, my rabbi, after he gets healed, he says, hey, your faith has healed you. What happens? He says, you can go. But it says that Bartimaeus followed Jesus. We have to be a people and we have to be a church and we have to be Christians who do not just go to Jesus when we need something. But sometimes we go to him when we don't even have it yet. Say, God, I just need this. God, I'm. God, I just need help in my marriage. I can't see everything right now. I feel like I don't have context, but I love my spouse so much. Can you please just help us? We don't want to be another statistic. God, can you please just help us? And you're blindly praying. God, I, 
got my child, they've been away for far too long. I just, I'm not asking them for to come home maybe physically, that would be great, but spiritually, can you bring them home? Can you, can you awaken their heart to what you know? Because I can't see everything. I don't understand their struggle. What do you need? My rabbi, I need, I need to have more faith. I'm struggling to believe. Can you help my unbelief? Can you be there for me? I can't see you, but I know you can see me. I've tossed my coat because my coat doesn't belong in this conversation. I've tossed my coat because it does not belong in this conversation. It doesn't belong in this part of my life. The steps that I take forward, it can't be with me anymore, so I've tossed it. My rabbi, can you help me? And he can. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.